You don't know flag. You Don't Know Flat, a podcast full of stories about retro gaming, retro computing, video games, arcade games, and technology from a guy who was there and still is. My name is Rob O'Hara, but for the next 30 minutes, you can call me Flat. Episode 131, Fun with Boxes. Hello and welcome to episode 131 of You Don't Know Flat. Today is Sunday, April 14th, 2013. And I am your host, Rob Flack O'Hara. Today on You Don't Know Flack, we'll be talking about boxes. Not cardboard boxes, but the boxes that were used by phone freaks back in the 1980s and 90s. As many of you know, I am now storing the podcast on my trusty Commodore 64, and it takes about 10 minutes to load, so let me go ahead and get that started. There we go. And uh, while the podcast is loading, we'll have a few minutes to chat during the loading time. Loading time. Loading time. Loading time. So, uh, news. Let's see. What do I have in news here? Oh, I bought a new microphone. I ordered it last week and uh, just came in yesterday. So I haven't really got a chance to play around with it yet, but I bought the Zoom H2. Actually, I saw the Zoom H2. I saw a comparison. Right now I have a Blue Yeti which, if you're not familiar with it, is this big, gigantic microphone uh, that looks uh, very kind of retro-style. It looks like something a big radio host would use. But the uh, Zoom H2 is about the size of a deck of cards. It's very small and portable. It has about the same quality, uh, but it runs off of uh, AA batteries, and it records to SD cards, so I can uh, do recording on the go. And so that's going to be my uh, plan in the future. I've got a few... Uh, podcast plan to do uh, some interviews on the road and some shows with co-hosts and things like that. So that's what I'm going to be using that mic for. And I bought that mic solely with money that was earned through sponsors, uh, people who sponsored the show and through some of my book sales. And those have been basically from people that have uh, heard about the books from the show. So basically the show funded the purchase of that mic. So thank you guys for supporting the show your money that went towards the show went to a microphone that's going to make the show a better show. Show enough. <laughs> uh, so anyway, yeah, bought a new mic. Um, oh, the other thing that's been on my radar uh, over the last day or so is uh, Revision 2013, the demo competition in Germany. Uh, if you recall when we talked about uh, intros and demos, computer demos, the demo scene and things like that, they still have demo parties. They don't have very many here in America anymore, but they're still big uh, overseas, and revision took place at the end of March, the beginning of April of this year. And um, as always, they have an old school uh, category for demos, and there's several Commodore 64, there's uh, some Amiga demos in there, there's um, uh, ZX Spectrum demos, there's, you know, for uh, several different things, and, and people have put those... They, they do a feed, and it's been uploaded to YouTube. So if you want to check those out, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. But it's amazing uh, what people are doing in 2013 with some of those old computers. Um, 
let's see. Oh, emails. I got some emails over the last week or so, and um, I have those up here. The first of which is from uh, Sean Johnson. I think I've uh, mentioned Sean before on the show. He goes by SJ Geek. Um, Sean says he listened to my spot on the Adventure Club podcast. Uh, and that he says uh, that he agrees with their opinion that I'm a good uh, storyteller and that it was good to listen to. So um, I appreciate that. And also, uh, Sean's podcast is the uh, is Throwback Reviews, the Throwback Reviews podcast, which you can find at throwbackreviews.com. Uh, they just, just moved and got a new URL, and, and Sean and some of his friends are watching... Uh, some classic uh, 70s and 80s movies and doing reviews. They did um, Top Secret, Smokey and the Bandit, uh, Private Eyes, and I think I saw that they're planning on doing Ghostbusters in the future. So anyway, if you like um, uh, old school uh, great movies and want to hear people talk about those and kick stuff around, that, that's a good podcast. So check, uh, check Sean's podcast out. I also got another uh, email here from uh, Lawrence Woodman. And Lawrence wrote to tell me, uh, he had a little bit of feedback about my episode, um, about Palm Pilots. And, um, like me, he had a Palm Pilot and he used it a lot. And, um, like me, he doesn't really use it anymore. However, um, he says that his family does still use a Palm Pilot for one thing several times a week as they joined a shopping survey. Uh, and when they go into stores and they scan barcodes, uh, of everything that they buy, and so the company that they do this for provides the scanner, and the scanner is a uh, modified Palm Pilot with a barcode scanner attached to it. And um, he also said that uh, once or twice a year the Palm Pilots break, and they send him a new one, so he suspects maybe they have a big uh, stockpile of old Palm Pilots uh, that are out there. But that's cool. I had not heard that um, that those were still being used, and that's actually pretty cool uh, use for that technology. I mean, they're they're really made for that. I'm surprised that um, they don't have a phone app or something that that somebody uh, you know that you could use that for. But um, no, that's cool. So, um, uh, oh, also um, Lawrence has a website as well, which is uh, techtinkering.com, and I just started checking it out. He's got a lot of cool stuff about um, uh, BBSs and and Telnet BBSs and a lot of different topics like that. So. Uh, I'll put that a link to that in the show notes too. So anyway, a couple cool feedbacks this week. Also, um, I'm going to pull up the voice mailbox because I see that I have two messages in the voice mailbox. So, uh, the first one here that, uh, came in is from listener retro romper. Hello, Flack. You have two messages. First message. Hey, Flack. Um, this is Retro Romper. You can reach me at retroromper at gmail.com. Anyway, I had two questions. One, um, could you do, have you done a review of Commodore um, Forever or Amiga Forever? Um, I'm curious to hear how they stack up as, um, well, how the emulation is and if it's actually worth buying them. And two, um, could you review some beer or something else, you know, something nice and smooth, maybe dark and brooding and go with, um, you know, everyone's favorite text adventure, Necrotic Drift, or uh, a night of playing, um, you know, everyone Pac-Man or E.T. on your uh, Amiga or Atari 64, sorry, Commodore 64. Um, anyway, those are my questions, and a uh, great show. Please keep it up, and uh, otherwise, take care, and I'll see you in the forums. Bye. 
So if you're not familiar, uh, there are a couple of off-the-shelf emulation packages you can buy. One is called uh, Commodore Forever, and the other one's Amiga Forever. And these are emulators uh, that are basically no fuss, no tinkering. You just install them, and they work. So there's no configuration, no uh, anything like that. Um, so the plus side to these is uh, they work right out of the box. You throw them on a the computer, install them, run them off a CD, whatever, and they just work. Uh, the downside is that they're not free. So, I mean, that's really the trade-off. If you're the type of person that uh, likes tinkering around with these programs, getting things to work or whatever, then basically all the things that these programs do, uh, WinVice um, does everything that Commodore Forever does. I mean, they've just put a, a slick front end on the emulator. Same thing with uh, Amiga Forever. You could get WinUAE. Uh, the Amiga emulator and, you know, run all the same software, do all the same stuff. But, um, uh, yeah, so uh, I think the emulation on both of those programs is spot on. Um, but uh, that's what you're paying for. You're paying for a slick interface, uh, you know, uh, like like uh, with MAME uh, front end, you know. So that's what you're getting with those applications. So, um, like I said... If um, you're the type of person that doesn't mind tinkering around to get stuff work, you know, there's lots of other people have got emulators up and running, and there's lots of websites out there explaining how to do that stuff, YouTube tutorials, um, all that. So, um, but if you don't, if you don't enjoy that part of it, or you can't get it to work, then those are definitely an alternative. Uh, there's another message here in the voicemail box, and I'm not sure who this one is from, so I'm just going to go ahead and play it here. Next message. Telephone. Modem. Modem. It's always one. <laughs> always one on the voicemail box. So, uh, well, I don't know what to say about that. Um, Let's see, do I have anything else here? I think that's it. Um, if you want to send your feedback or send me an email, you can reach me at robohara at robohara.com. Um, I've had a couple of people tell me that large attachments are getting rejected from robohara at robohara.com, and it has to do with uh, how I do my forwarding. So if you have an attachment that's more than, I think, about 5 meg, uh, you can send it to me at Gmail, which is just robohara at gmail.com. So you can bypass the uh, forwarder there and send me a larger attachment. Also, if you want to leave me a voicemail, if uh, you have questions about emulation, computers, or if you're um, aliens from outer space, you can leave me a voicemail on the You Don't Know Flack voicemail box, which is area code 206-309-9501. Oh, 
Ah, and the sound of the Commodore 1541's drive head banging against itself there can only mean one thing, and that is that the podcast is done loading. So with that, let's go to episode 131, Boxing. So the history of boxing goes back probably much further than most people are aware. It actually goes back to uh, the 1950s when AT&T released um, a technical manual that had some information about the phone system in it. And so uh, this manual, people got their hands on it and they got certain information out of this manual and they began to realize um, that there were ways to manipulate the phone system. Now, uh, it didn't give, that first manual didn't give the keys to the kingdom. There was a second, uh, operator manual that got released later on. And so people were able to put, uh, one and one together, so to speak, information from both manuals and figure out, uh, how to manipulate the phone system. And these people were called phone freaks and that's freak with a pH, just like the pH in phone. And so the idea of phone freaking originally, um, you know, I guess a good way to explain it is like, um, if you talk about, um, pirates, you know, people that, um, copy software, there are multiple, I mean, different types of pirates, you know, you had the people that, um, would copy or, you know, the people that would break copy protection, the people that would go in and look at, you know, the machine language or assembly or whatever, and actually figure out how to crack the copy protection that was on software. But then there were the people that just pretty much reaped the benefits of that. You know, they, they didn't know the technical aspects. And I mean, I'll tell you right up front that I was one of those people. Uh, I didn't know how to do all that, but you know, of course I, um, reaped the benefits by trading games and getting free games and downloading them um, for BBS, you know? And then there was, uh, the third people that nobody liked the third group of people that would actually sell pirated software, you know, to make money off it or whatever. And, and the, no, no group like those people. Um, and it was the same thing with phone freaks. I mean, there were the type of people that were out there exploring uh, AT&T and exploring the phone system, learning how things were, trying things. Um, and those were the people that were just in there for the education and there to learn how stuff worked. But then there were people that took that information, you know, like the people that traded the software or whatever, and they built um, these boxes that would manipulate the phone system. We're going to be talking all about those types of boxes on this episode. And then there were the people that took those um, boxes and just sold them, you know, as devices to allow people to have free phone calls or whatever. So, you know, kind of the same correlation between those two groups. Um, The four big main type of boxes uh, were the blue box, the red box, the beige box, and the black box. And these boxes all got their names... Um, because people put these things, uh, these devices into different boxes. Um, the, the legend behind the blue box was that the first one that AT&T found was in a little blue plastic box. So that's how it got its name, but that kind of became a tradition as these things were built, uh, or designed or invented or whatever, um, that they were given a name. And, and some of the ones I'll be talking about later weren't even things uh, like the beige box isn't anything that goes inside a physical box, but it was just called uh, beige boxing. So, um, like I said, this this will, uh, some of these things will clear themselves up as we go through the episode. Um, but, but the concept of boxing was basically that these boxes could be used 
um, to affect the phone system. And the reason that they worked is because the phone system was controlled by auditory tones, and those tones were carried in band. And what that means is the tones that managed the phone system were uh, in the same part of the system as where your voice was. So basically, if you could figure out what those tones were and how to use them, you could play your own tones and more or less take over the phone system. And so uh, um, there were... I mean, basically, these tones are all what they call MF tones, which are uh, multi-frequency tones. So they're like two tones played at the same time. And uh, on a couple of different uh, episodes, I have talked about security through obscurity, which is basically planning your entire security model on the fact that somebody won't figure out how it works or that somebody won't have the ability uh, to duplicate the way that your security system works. Um, the, the classic example for security through obscurity, and I've used this before, is hiding the key to your front door under the placemat in front of your house. So you have obscured the key, and without the key, you can't get in the front door. The problem is, once somebody finds the key, and now, and tells everybody else where the key is, now anybody who has that knowledge uh, can get into your house. And so that's basically what happened with the phone system throughout the 1960s, 70s, 80s and into the 90s was once people had the knowledge uh, to manipulate the phone system, there wasn't anything that AT&T could do about it for many years. So uh, anyway, the security through obscurity, as far as it was concerned, was that uh, the, these tones that were done, first of all, they were obscure because you weren't supposed to know what they were, but people figured out what they were eventually through these manuals and, and some by uh, just accidental luck. And the other security through obscurity was that a normal phone could not generate these tones, but uh, as we'll find out, there were ways around that as well. So back to AT&T, uh, they had published these technical manuals and it explained that these tones were used to manage the system. And the tone, uh, they, they were listed in... in different frequencies, and the tone that would reset a long-distance trunk line uh, was a 2600 hertz tone. Now, you may have heard of the Hacker Magazine 2600. 2600, the magazine, was named uh, after this tone. So uh, this is a basically a legendary breakthrough for phone freaks was discovering the exact frequency of this tone. Now, uh, there are a couple of people, if you're interested in reading more about this, there was a very famous blind phone freak named Joy Bubbles who uh, learned at an early age that he could whistle this tone into his phone line and manually take over phones. So uh, he didn't have a, a device, a box, or a tool or anything like that, uh, but he could just whistle this tone. And so uh, later on, if you're familiar with... Um, uh, Kevin Mitnick and, and the stories, you know, when he wasn't allowed uh, to use a phone from prison for a while, uh, actually for a long while, uh, because they were, uh, I guess the prosecuting attorney had told the judge that, that Kevin Mitnick was able to whistle into a phone and launch missiles was the rumor at the time, which is, uh, of course, we all know, absolutely ridiculous. Um, but... You know, so it could kind of be traced back to this, where Joy Bubbles was able to whistle into the phone and uh, manipulate the phone system. Uh, there was also a very famous 
uh, toy that came in Captain Crunch cereal, and it was a, a Captain Crunch whistle. And if, uh, you know, you blew the whistle and it had the two little whistle holes, but if you held one of them over, it made a perfect 2600 hertz tone, uh, which could be used, you know, then to uh, take over the phone system and, and do uh, long distance calling. So if you've ever heard the hacker uh, Captain Crunch, his real name is uh, John Draper, but if you want to look him up, uh, that's where he got his alias was from this Captain Crunch whistle. So um, also there's a very famous story about blue boxing. Uh, and that um, blue boxes were made by Steve Wozniak and Steve Jobs. And uh, during their college days, they made blue boxes and sold them. And the money that they made from selling blue boxes out of their garage was actually used as startup capital for Apple computers. So uh, there's a lot of people back in that uh, time in the 70s, um, you know, that were hacker type people that got involved um, in phone freaking. And so... Anyway, um, like I said, uh, some of the early hackers were, they didn't really have, um, I mean, they, they were putting the pieces of this together. They had got these two different technical manuals from AT&T, and um, uh, based on that, they knew a little bit about phone freaking, and they were figuring these things out. Um, and then there was an article that came out called Secrets of the Little Blue Box, which is an infamous article. It was published in Esquire magazine in 1971. And basically, uh, that article explained about the 2600 tone or 2600 hertz tone, um, and then by dropping other multi-frequency tones, which I'm going to uh, demonstrate here in a little while. I'm not going to be blue boxing, but I will um, share the tones with you. Um, but you could drop a, a KP tone, which was a key press, and you could reroute basically a long distance trunk into a free long distance number. So. Now, at that time, who was doing this? Who was doing phone freaking? Who was using black or uh, blue boxes? And basically, there were several different groups. Um, Wikipedia says that there were three groups. The first was pranksters, which is what um, uh, Steve Wozniak says that he and Steve Jobs were. Um, there's a, a famous uh, story where they tried calling the Pope <laughs> long distance at the Vatican using a blue box. Um, the second big clientele for blue boxes and, and uh, some of the other boxes we'll be talking about were drug dealers uh, because these boxes allowed you to manipulate the phone system and it was very difficult to trace where they were coming from. So it gave people, uh, you know, a more intimate access into the phone system uh, and then the third was, like we talked about, phone hackers, which were people that were just getting in there, um, you know, to learn the phone system. People that were curious. The original definition of the word hacker, not uh, hacker like we use it today for people that, you know, break into systems. But these were people that were just curious and wanted to know how the phone system worked. So you had these little groups, and that, then that article came out. And people began making blue boxes and selling blue boxes. Um, but it still wasn't a big problem uh, until the late 70s and early 80s uh, when computers, home computers, um, grew in popularity and BBSs came out, bulletin board systems. And bulletin board systems, as you know, uh, required users to call one another and 
unless you know you could you had three choices i guess um you could only call bbs's in your local area code and if you lived you know uh like we did in oklahoma there were a lot of bbs's here but uh, obviously the uh more popular BBSs were located on the coasts of California and Florida and, and New York, things like that. So you could either call long distance and pay long distance dialing fees. And back then there was even um, different rates for data versus voice. So um, you would have to pay, you know, long distance. Uh, sometimes it was more expensive to call long distance uh, on a computer, or you could figure out how to, uh, use these boxes and manipulate the phone system and call long distance for free. Now, later on, um, what happened is people switched to MCI codes, and that uh, I think was easier to do. Um, so people hacked and stole and traded long distance Sprint codes and MCI codes to call long distance. Uh, and so that kind of, in a, uh, in a way, replaced boxing. Uh, the problem with that was if you got caught, it was very easy to trace those. And I personally know several people uh, that um, got busted for doing that. And it wasn't um, wasn't necessarily a good thing. So so anyway, uh, like we said, or like I said, the um, original blue box that was detected and confiscated by AT&T was in this tiny little blue plastic case, which is where it got the name uh, for blue box. So... What uh, blue boxes did, and again, I, I kind of explain this, but the concept behind a blue box was that you could manipulate long-distance trunks. And so uh, I am going to pull up here an old program. And this program, uh, if you saw the post yesterday on the You Don't Know Flag page on Facebook, uh, there was a program for the Commodore 64 called Phone Man. And what Phone Man did was it generated all these tones for you. So I'm going to crank up the speakers here. And I don't, I'll be honest with you, I played through this a few minutes ago, and I'm not sure that these tones are 100% accurate uh, through this emulator. So I, I, um, I'm not sure if these would actually work or not. I mean, on the, the Blue Box, I think it would, but... Um, so let me pull up Blue Box here. And so the first thing you can see is that um, you have the numbers here. So I'm, let me turn this up. So you could dial in numbers just like dialing a phone. Um, but if you hit F3, that gives you a 2600 hertz tone. So uh, the idea behind the Blue Box is you would call... Uh, you'd have to get on a long-distance trunk. So what you could do is call like a 1-800 number, which would be a long-distance number. And once you're on there, you could seize that uh, by hitting this 2600 tone, which is that. And then um, once uh, you had that, it would, it would reset the line. And so the line would become reset, and then it was waiting for something else to happen. And so then you could hit K which tells it that you're going to do a key press. And then, uh, now, the keys that are on this, K, uh, key press, status, some of these other ones, a locking frequency here. These are tones that you can't do with a normal telephone. So again, security through obscurity, right? Um, but, so what you would do is take over that line, break the trunk uh, with that 2600, 
do a key press, and then using this, I could dial uh, my phone number, 405. Uh, and it would understand those tones, and now you have basically seized this long-distance trunk, and you could route it anywhere. Um, and like other um, hacking techniques, I guess, um, a, a popular technique for a long time uh, was to telnet through two or three separate locations. So if I wanted to hide where I was coming through the Internet, I might telnet to two or three different accounts in two or three different countries. Uh, it doesn't make it impossible to trace back, but the idea of tracing you know, somebody back through an account in China and then Brazil and then wherever uh, it became a lot of legwork. So the average person you know, either wouldn't have the means or the desire to actually do that. And you can do the same thing with, um, you know, these boxes, you could hop through multiple, uh, trunks, multiple different connections, and it would make tracing you basically impossible. So, uh, that was blue boxing. Now, another very popular box at that time was the red box and red boxes. Again, uh, I, I assume that the first one was found in a small, um, red box, but, uh, what red boxes did was allow you to use pay phones for free. And so the way that they worked is it, and a lot of this, um, if you're old enough, you may remember this where you would pick up a pay phone and hold the receiver up to your ear and you would put a quarter in and you would hear these little beeps. So let me pull up the, uh, red box portion here of phone man. And so you would put a quarter into a payphone and you would hear this. And so that's, uh, if you can't tell, that's five rapid beeps in a row. Uh, a dime is two beeps and a nickel is just one. So you go up to a payphone, you put a quarter in and it plays those five beeps. That because those tones are, um, inbound, like we talked about they're analog tones that were inbound those would go into the phone system and let them know that you put a quarter in. So uh, what a red box, the original red boxes were basically tone dialers that had been modified uh, from Radio Shack. So you would buy a tone dialer and then you could get different crystals and you would install it into this and you would change what the buttons did. And so you would change a button that would basically with the right crystals and it would put the right timing in, it would make these sounds. So you could go to a payphone and press these buttons and sit here and, and put free quarters into a payphone. And then now you have a dollar's worth of quarters and you could call long distance. Um, the phone company did catch on uh, to red boxing. And so what they did was they made phones to where the receiver didn't work until you had put a quarter in. So you could sit here and play these tones, but the phone wasn't listening uh, because you hadn't put a real physical quarter in. So the way to get around that was you would just pick up a payphone and call someone long distance. And then the phone would come on and say, uh, okay, you've dialed long distance. Please insert $1 to continue talking. And then you play your tones like that. And, um, the phone would, now that the receiver's working, would recognize those tones. Um, and it would think you're putting real money in. Um, later on, uh, that stopped working. And so sometimes you would, uh, actually get broken into by an operator. And this happened to me more than once. Uh, and then the operator would say, 
uh, you need to put quarters in, and then you, you would just play your tones, and then the operator would say okay, and um, you know connect you through. Now, um, I didn't have a tone dialer red box. What I had was uh, a modified Hallmark card that a friend of mine built for me. If you remember, there were Hallmark cards that came out in the early to mid-90s that you could open them up and record a message for someone. So you would open this Hallmark card and say, hey, happy birthday, and then, uh, you know, give it to someone else, and then they, you know, they would open the card and it would play back your message. Hey, like that. So um, a friend of mine basically took one of those, pulled it out of that card, and put it in a small box for me, um, and wired a microphone jack into it. So instead of using the microphone, uh, I could basically hook up my computer uh, with a uh, uh, cord or an eighth inch wire and play those tones, and it would record it onto that box. And then I would flip a little switch, and there was a speaker on the back, and I would press this button, and it would play those tones back. So once I had that, I would go to payphones all over the city and call everybody I knew, basically because I could. <laughs> I had no um, real need to use this, but I just thought it was the neatest thing. And so I would go around and call people. And um, when I moved to Spokane, I actually took it with me. And I would go to payphones and call people back in Oklahoma and call home. And um, uh, like I said, I would say it worked 90% of the time. And occasionally when it wouldn't, the operator would break in and say, please put in more quarters and you would play the tones. And, um, then they would say, okay. And what happened, uh, at one point in time was that the batteries got old. And so it started playing back more slowly and it got to where not all phones would recognize it. And so I did actually have an operator come on one time and ask me to put money into a payphone, and I played the tones and she basically told me those weren't real tones. And I, you know, of course acted completely, uh, astonished and indignant. I was like, what are you talking about? What, how could they not be real tones? You know? Um, but she was like, well, they're playing much too slowly. <laughs> uh, and I was like, yeah, I think the battery on this thing's dying. And so we had a good laugh and then she hung up on me. Um, and, and I was very paranoid. Uh, of course this was, um, the mid nineties, mid to late nineties. Uh, so I would always, if I I used it, I would stay in my car and leave it in, in drive so that, you know, if the popo came, I could take off. Like like they're going to call the police because you stole a dollar's worth of <laughs> long distance or whatever. But um, I would also park where my car tag wouldn't be pointing towards uh, a convenience store because I was always afraid they would have cameras inside or something. They would get my tag. Uh, and then when I dialed, I would wear gloves. So... Uh, Basically, uh, there's no proof that I ever did that. <laughs> so there you go. Um, but, uh, yeah, so red boxes and for me, red boxes were just a big game. I mean, it was just something fun to do, you know? Uh, and then I used to subscribe to 2600 magazine and in 2600 magazine, uh, in 1995, they ran a story about a fellow named Bernie S and uh, it's not his real name, but Bernie S. Um, was standing outside of a convenience store and was making a transaction for these crystals to modify tone dialers. And police saw him do this, and they thought they had witnessed a drug deal. And so they went up, and basically they searched him, and they found this tone dialer and stuff, and they arrested him. Um, so... 
he got arrested in March of 1995. And basically, uh, you can look on Wikipedia uh, or you can look on 2600 for the story of Bernie S. But basically, um, once um, he was arrested, uh, Bernie then published... uh, information about the Secret Service. He published um, the location of their offices and um, some of the people's phone numbers and other private information. He published some of their photos. And basically what we have all learned in our lives is that right or wrong, there are certain people that you shouldn't make mad. And one of those groups is the United States Secret Service. And so basically they declared that Bernie S. was, um, quote, a danger to society for having too much information. Even though all the information that he got and that he published was publicly available. And so they threw him in jail in March. And they decided to have his trial in September. So uh, there have been lots of cases, if you know the history of... Kevin Mitnick, if you know the history of several uh, quote-unquote dangerous hackers um, that have been arrested throughout the years, uh, a right to a speedy trial is not a right that many of these people have received. And so basically in September of 95, so this is six months of uh, being in jail, Bernie S. pled guilty to possession of technology which could be used in a fraudulent manner. Which, by the way, if you're listening to this podcast, you are in possession of technology that could be used in a fraudulent manner. I just played uh, Blue Box and Red Box Tones on a Commodore 64 emulator. Um, So we're all guilty of having technology that could be used in a fraudulent manner. So this is one of those BS charges that they throw at somebody. Um, So he was released the next month in October. Um... So then what happened to Bernie S. was uh, they basically went back and arrested him again for a probation violation because they said he tampered with evidence because he took batteries out of a tone dialer. And so they rearrested him. Now this is a guy, by the way, who's pled guilty to owning a tone dialer that he bought at Radio Shack. <laughs> okay, that, that's his crime. Um, they arrested him and set bail at $250,000, um, which is more than most murderers get. Uh, I mean, it, it, and for a nonviolent, you know, crime, it's crazy. Uh, he was then sentenced for six to 24 months in prison while he was awaiting a parole hearing. Someone sent him a fax while he was in prison Uh, And so he was then charged with misuse of the telephone system because someone faxed him a fax that he didn't ask for. Um, So then when he tried to appeal that, they put him in uh, maximum security. Um, I mean, it just goes on and on the way they treated this guy. Uh, At one point, he was moved to high security, and when he got there, these... uh, Violent offenders attacked him, and they broke his arm, and they broke his jaw. Uh, When he tried, he asked the prison uh, for help at the time. They wouldn't help him. Then he tried calling people outside, and they wouldn't let him use the phone. 
I mean, it's just a horrible thing that happened to this guy. I got to meet Bernie S. at Nauticon in 2007. He was there with Emmanuel Goldstein from uh, 2600 Magazine. I only talked to him for a few minutes. They actually, uh, I had the honor, and I would say honor, of having those two attend um, one of my presentations or my presentation at Nauticon on uh, self-publishing. And, um, you know, to meet somebody like that and, you know, to go online and see all the stuff they went through, um, it's just a good reminder that, uh, like I said, all this red boxing, blue boxing to us as kids, um, I had a friend who uh, was blue boxing regularly just to call BBSs to download games. And we all thought, you know, oh, it was cool or funny or whatever. But, um, you know, every now and then you would see a story like this and it would remind you that, um, it wasn't all fun and games when it came to uh, law enforcement and, and the phone company. So, um, Beige boxes. Beige boxes were a third type of box. Like I said, we covered blue boxes, red boxes. Beige boxes were essentially a lineman's handset. And if you're not familiar with a lineman's handset, that's uh, these big blue or um, red phone uh, that you used to see hanging from uh, the phone guy's belt. So the guy would have the big phone and it would have, uh, you know, all the numbers on, or, you know, number pad to dial on the back. And then it would have alligator clips uh, hanging off of it. And so with one of those, you could go attach those clips to a phone line or to a pair, uh, you know, inside a phone box and check for dial tones and do things like that and dial out. Now, um, so what a beige box was, was essentially a modified phone where you would take phone cord and strip out uh, the wires and attach alligator clips to it. So uh, I mean, that's kind of a case where that the name beige box or beige boxing became synonymous with doing that, even though nobody ever had one that was beige. I mean, you would just you know take a, a small phone and strip the wires and put alligator clips, but that was known as beige boxing. Um the the funniest beige boxing story I know of, and I, I think I talked about this. I know I talked about it in Commodore, and I'm not sure if I mentioned it on the podcast before, but uh, there was a guy that we knew um, in the Brotherhood of 405, and his name was Ozzy Mendias. And I went to a party at his house one time and uh, asked to use his phone. And so he handed me a phone, and uh, when I picked it up, there was someone already on the phone. And so I hung it back up, and I said, oh, somebody's using your phone. And he said, oh, hang on for a second. And so I noticed that the phone line that the phone was attached to went out his window. And so the phone box to the entire apartment complex was right outside his window. And so basically that's all he did for a phone was he was beige boxing. So uh, he would just, you know, open this box up and move down to another pair or another pair until we found one that nobody was talking on and uh, that you got a dial tone. And then once he did, he handed me the phone back and (laughs) I was able to make my call. Um, but, uh, yeah, that, so that's what, uh, beige boxing was, was, was just, um, you know, modified phone with, uh, alligator clips that you could attach to phone terminals and, and get a dial tone out of. A fourth type of box that was apparently very popular, but, um, one that I didn't personally ever, uh, witness being used was called a black box. And what a black box supposedly did was it operated off the principle that, um, your phone, the phone line, maintained a certain uh, voltage whenever it was ringing, but when you answered the phone, that voltage would drop. So according to um, uh, 
you know, the, these old docs, these old text files that got passed around. Uh, the voltage on your line when it was ringing is 36 volts. But when you answer the phone, it dropped down to 10 volts. So what the idea was is you would hook this box up inside, you know, to your phone, and someone would call you. So the voltage is at 36 volts. You flip this box on, and it would maintain that 36 volts to the phone line. And then you would answer it, and since the box uh, had batteries in it, it would maintain this voltage on the phone line. So the phone company didn't notice that you had answered your phone. So to them, it still looked like the phone was just ringing. And of course, if you call long distance, you don't get charged for a phone line ringing only when somebody answers. So according to legend, uh, these worked and for about 10 minutes. Uh, and then the phone company would notice that, you know, this phone's been ringing for 10 minutes and it would hang up on you. So now I pulled up two different documents um on if you go to textfiles.com their uh, textfiles.com of course has a huge collection of old bbs text files and if you go to textfiles.com forward slash freak that's with a ph p-h-r-e-a-k forward slash boxes there's an entire directory of boxes plans um, and these were the types of files that got traded around on BBSs. So you would download these and find out, oh, okay, well, there's a, a black box or a, a brown box or a blue box or whatever, and it would have the instructions on how to make them. Now, one thing hackers were not really known for is quality control. <laughs> so um, when you go through these, like I pulled up two different ones for black boxes, and one says uh, that the voltage of a black box may, needs to maintain 36 volts. The other one I read says 70 volts. So at some point, it seems that you could, you know, build something that would potentially damage your phone line uh, or your health. <laughs> uh, so, you know, somebody could theoretically modify one of these. You could modify one and say, okay, well, this works, but you need to hook up a car battery and re-upload that. And I'm sure files like that, you know, there, there's some famous uh, files that got um, passed around about smoking banana peels and stuff. And I know people that tried it um, just because, you know, well, I saw it on a BBS. So a lot of people, you know, didn't think, oh, well, you know, I've downloaded something that would could actually harm me or harm my computer or my phone line or get me in trouble or whatever from a BBS. But um, the fact is, is that typically you didn't know where these files uh, had come from or if they had been modified or anything like that. So... Anyway, those were the four main types of boxes. Again, those were the blue box, the red box, the beige box, and black box. But there were hundreds of different types of boxes out there. And so just going through the uh, text files directory here, some of the ones, and I remember reading about some of these at the time. Um, there's a pink box, and the pink box connected two phone lines together to make three-way so if you had two phone lines in your house, um, now all these boxes contain schematics that were drawn with ASCII characters. So it would show like little things where resistors were supposed to go or, or whatever and how much voltage and stuff. And a lot of times they were messed up because they were drawn in 40 column or 80 column and then switched, you know, um, but you know, typically if you, I guess if you knew what you were doing, you could decipher what someone had drawn here but still seems kind of uh you know a little bit of a leap of faith to 
download something that you don't know who designed it or whatever and put these together. But anyway, um, so the paint box, yeah, it had plans and you could wire this up and you could turn your two phone lines into three-way. Um, a purple box allowed you to put people on hold. That was the same uh, uh, kind of thing as the black box where it would maintain that voltage even though you hung your phone up. Um, there was a plaid box. Uh, and this is a plaid box is an old school box that says it enables touch tone, tone or touch tones, I guess you would say, on a pulse only phone line. And this goes back to the days where the phone company actually charged you extra to enable touch tone uh, phones in your home. So you would pay more if you had a touch tone phone. And so this box supposedly allowed you to um, uh, use touch tones if you were just paying for a uh, pulse only phone line. This one is called a busy box. And this is another one where I can't, I mean, I don't, it's, it doesn't even go in a box, but what it was is a, um, basically it was instructions on how to short out someone's phone line. And, and what you did was you go to their phone box outside their house and get a little uh, strip of wire or something or something with alligator clips or just wire. And basically you connect the uh, red and green terminals together, which would short out their phone line. Um, so, Again, there, it's not really a box, but all these things uh, as part of the freak culture uh, were just given, you know, box names. Um, there was a cheese box, which uh, basically was a system to f uh, forward your phone line to the phone company and make it think that your phone line was a payphone. So you could use the cheese box to turn your home phone into a payphone, and then you could use a red box uh, to use those dialing tones and dial um, long-distance calls for free. Um, there was a gold box which sat uh, in between two phone lines and allowed you to dial in to one phone line and then out the other. Uh, a noise box which added line noise. I'm not sure <laughs> why you'd want to do that, but um, there was that. Uh, and then there were these two boxes which I think someone built for me it might have been someone, uh, one of the computer things I went to, but there was a, a neon box and a music box, and they're kind of the opposite of each other. And what a neon box did was had a quarter-inch output that you would add to your phone line for recording phone calls, and then there was a, the music box was a quarter-inch input for playing music to people. So you could, like, run a wire out of, you know, your stereo, like a headphone wire into your phone and, and play music for people. Uh, and I had a little box that someone had put together for me, probably someone's little Radio Shack um, science experiment. Um, but, uh, and I had a little switch for in and out. So that's kind of uh, my little thing. It was, like, combined. Um, but I, I had something that someone had built me like that. Then there were all these... Um, boxes that you have to kind of question if these actually work. One is called a blast box, which is basically it tells you that by boosting the uh, voltage to your phone, you can actually make your voice louder on the other end. Now, I don't know that much about <laughs> uh, old, especially old school telephone systems. I mean, I do in certain parts of them, obviously, but... Uh, I'm not sure the logic applies there, that by adding the voltage to your phone that you would make your, your voice louder on the other end. Um, and then there's a blotto box, and the blotto box is 
kind of infamous, and that the idea was that um, you could actually like damage phone lines or shock other people and stuff by uh, hooking up a, a generator to your phone line or something. And that's just dumb. I and mean, that's obviously not going to work. Um, but you have to wonder if you know if these things that were written, uh, if they're serious or if they're tongue in cheek. It's kind of hard to tell. And uh, you also wonder if there were some kids somewhere, you know secretly planning about hooking a generator up to their phone line to, uh, you know, destroy their neighbor's phone or something like that. So anyway, you had all these different kinds of uh, phone boxes. And these files, like I said, got traded on BBSs. They got traded around. Um, and the information was out there. So people were actually doing this stuff. Now, what happened to boxing? So why aren't people doing blue boxing today? Why aren't people still red boxing and doing all these things. And there were basically three different factors uh, that killed freaking. Um, the first thing was, is that phone systems got upgraded. So back in the day you had, um, you know, these old analog systems like um, uh, 5ESS I was familiar with. Uh, when those things got upgraded to 7ESS, which was a digital uh, switching system, those analog tones didn't work anymore. They were now out of band. And so uh, the phone system had moved over to digital switching. And uh, so basically a lot of these things quit working, things that required you or that relied on analog signals to go through the phone system. They didn't work anymore. Um, now, I would say that killed a lot of uh, these boxes, but not all, because I know for a fact, I have read several times that, Red boxing no longer works. I read before I ever got a red box, uh, and this is the payphone one. Uh, I read that red boxing didn't work, and then when I got that red box, I went and tried it, and it worked just fine. And then I read a thing, you know, a year or two later that said, "Well, red boxing is now officially dead." It still worked. There were also there's payphones. It's called a cocot, C O C O T, which is a um, I'd have to look coin operated customer-owned telephone. So, um, I just did that off the top of my head. Uh, so what a COCOT was, was a payphone that was not owned by the phone company. It was owned by a private business. And you would see these, they would look different than a normal AT&T phone, usually. It would have some sort of identification on it that would say a customer-owned or something. Um, but a lot of the security measures that AT&T put into their phones didn't get put into those phones. So even when AT&T was cutting off uh, the receiver handsets and things where red boxes wouldn't work, COCOT phones still work. So, uh, I mean, I, I'm i sure at least half a dozen times throughout the years I read uh, that red boxing doesn't work anymore. And I haven't tried red boxing in, uh, I don't know, long time, let's say. <laughs> Five, six, seven years, something like that. Uh, but the last time I tried it, it still worked. So... I, I'm sure at some point, you know, it, it would get cut off, um, that it wouldn't work anymore, and it may not work anymore today. Uh, but a lot of these things worked for much longer than people assume they worked. And I'm just talking about the United States. There are a lot of third world countries that have outdated phone systems where all of these things still work. Um, so, you know, what doesn't work in the U.S. or, you know... Uh, Canada, UK, things like that may work in other parts of the world. So anyway, um, but that's the first thing is that basically phone systems got upgraded. The second thing was 
the internet. And if you think about it, like I said, the, the biggest people uh, for years that were using boxes, blue boxes, all these things, um, were computer users who were wanting to call long-distance BBSs and not pay for the phone calls. Um, but once you get to the internet, it was just a local phone call. You would just dial your local internet provider or uh, AOL's 1-800 number or whatever your, however you got on the information superhighway. But um, it eliminated those phone calls. Uh, yeah, I mean, you didn't have to call long distance for BBSs anymore. So uh, once that happened, you know, the, the desire, the need to use these uh, went away. So that was the second thing. And then the third thing uh, that killed uh, boxing almost completely was uh, cell phones and free long distance calls. <laughs> so, I mean, why would you... There's no need to red box at this point to use a payphone to call long distance. So you have a cell phone and you can call long distance uh, for free on nights and weekends at least. Now let me look up. You know, one of the most annoying things now is it's almost impossible to Google for um, red box information because all you get is that stupid um, movie rental <laughs> place. Um there is an iPhone app called Freakbox, uh, which I have on my phone, and I gotta think it's completely useless. Um, but it's so fun uh, in a old school, ironic type of way. And uh, Freakbox, which by the way costs ninety nine cents uh, on iTunes, has. Uh, Blue box, red box, green box, and silver box tones built into it. So, I mean, the, the funny thing is you're using a device that allows you to call long distance for free <laughs> to do this. You know, so, I mean, there's, there's no real practical use for this at this point. Um, but, uh, you know, it's still out there. So, I, I think it's cool that, that people still keep that alive. You know, I, I think... The thing for me about boxes was not, um, it was never about stealing long distance uh, phone calls or anything about that. Uh, for me, what it was, was just that there was this, you know, a system, a phone system that we understood as well as the phone company. I mean, I'm sure there were secrets, you know. Um, no more secrets, right? <laughs> But um, uh, that that people were inside, that people had got in through the the uh, exterior defenses, you know. And once people got in and started figuring out that these tones would do things, um, and that you could actually manipulate, and that they they AT and T or the phone company couldn't keep people out. I mean, once you got in, you know, it was like um, uh, metaphorically exploring a cave or you know, some area you weren't supposed to be, um, but you didn't have to go to wherever that cave was. That cave was wherever the nearest phone was, wherever the nearest pay phone, wherever the nearest, uh, you know, handset was your entry to that little adventure world. So I think it was a very interesting time. And like I said, I, I, I don't make any, um, uh, claims that I invented any, you know, I, I, I wasn't 
doing any of that experimenting type stuff. You know, basically I was uh, the bottom feeder, you know, where people figured this stuff out uh, and then they streamlined it and they put it into programs and then, you know, eventually we got, you know, the bottom feeders. That's what I, I call the people that, you know, were at the receiving end of that information. And then you would go use it um, to our advantage or whatever. So, you know, that that's where I was in all this. But I think, I don't know, I, I just think it was a cool time where, uh, you know, now, and I don't know, it seems like um, a lot of what's happened with hacking is um, the, the, the old school spirit of getting into something to see how it works or, you know, that, that adventurous, fun prankster kind of spirit is gone. Now it's, you get in so that you can, uh, you know, get people's credit cards and post them in Russian forums and get a dollar each for them or whatever. Uh, so that, that original spirit, that adventurous kind of, uh, spirit is gone. And so is the gone. So is the gone. Good Lord. Um, but what we also lost is that slap on the wrist that came, you know, when they caught somebody playing around on the phone system, they might, you know, turn your phone off or they might do something. Now they prosecute you. And, um, so it, it is a different world. It's a different time now, but it was a neat time. I enjoyed, um, living through it. I enjoyed the, the things that I did and, and the things that my friends did and, and, um, you know, the, the mystery I guess was the thing that I enjoyed to seeing these files and, and just um, trying and seeing what would work, uh, what didn't work, and, and wondering uh, what some of these things would work. So uh, that about wraps up this episode of You Don't Know Flack. I hope you guys liked the uh, little history lesson this week. Um, next week, I am I'm actually leaving out of town, but I'm not leaving until Monday, so I should have enough time. Uh, to get a show out on Sundays, that's the plan. And then the following weekend, I will be in Greensboro, North Carolina. And um, one of my listeners uh, who lives in the Greensboro area has been bugging me, not bugging me, but um, requesting a show about skateboarding video games so uh, i'm hoping that while i'm in the greensboro area i can hook up with this person and record uh with my new zoom portable microphone and record an episode about skateboarding video games so maybe we'll hear that in a couple weeks that's the plan anyway so once again thanks for tuning in to you don't know flag thanks to everybody that emailed me if you want to email me it is uh, rob o'hara at robohara.com I love, love, love getting feedback, hearing what you guys think about the show. If you want to leave me a voicemail, the voicemail box is 206-309-9501. So uh, keep that stuff coming in. Thanks, everybody, for supporting the show. Thanks for supporting me, and I will see you guys next week. Mm -hmm.